Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Welcome to Mount Olive. Glad you guys could be here with us today. You guys know what today is? Yeah, it's Father's Day. It's kind of a fun day for for me and, and for all the other dads who are here. It's a day where we get to be thankful that God has made us fathers. And it's kind of neat to hear you guys say thank you to us. But, you know, there's uh, something that every father here knows. And you guys probably know this too, but just in case you didn't, fathers are not perfect. Did you know that? Fathers on this earth, we are not perfect people. We make mistakes all the time. And did you know that that's why you make mistakes? Did you know that the reason you make mistakes is because your mom and your dad make mistakes? You see, when, when God brings a man and a woman together in marriage, he's bringing two people who are sinful who don't always obey God's laws together in marriage. And then when they have babies, guess what? Those babies are sinful too. One of the greatest privileges that a Christian father has is to tell their children about Jesus. I get to tell my children about Jesus. I get to tell you about Jesus, just like your dads get to tell you about Jesus too. Because we know what Jesus has done for us. Christian fathers know that Jesus came into this world to forgive us, to forgive us for all the times that we're not perfect dads, to forgive us for all the times that we're not perfect husbands. And now that Christian fathers like me know that our sins are forgiven by Jesus, we get to tell you that what Jesus has done for us, he has done for you too so that you can grow up to be Christian fathers and mothers who know what Jesus has done for you, he's also done for your kids. One of the greatest privileges of being a Christian father is telling our children that just like Jesus has forgiven our sins, he's forgiven your sins too. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, today we thank you for the gift of fathers. We thank you especially for Christian fathers who say sorry when they sin, who know that you have forgiven all their sins and who teach their children all that you have done for sinners like us. We thank you for the gift of dads. In your name we pray, amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from the end of chapter nine of Matthew's gospel and the beginning of chapter 10. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, 
Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about compassion. When you're sitting down watching TV and one of those commercials for St. Jude's Children's Hospital comes on, that's compassion. When you see that little seven-year-old girl bald from the cancer treatment, you don't even know the girl, you don't know her family, but deep inside you feel that heart-aching, gut-wrenching, there's got to be something we can do for this family kind of feeling. That's compassion. Sometimes it hits closer to home. Uh, A brother in ministry a pastor who serves out in the state of California and his wife and two of their children said goodbye to a little brother this last week. A little boy who was suffering from cancer and there was nothing they could do. He fell asleep in Jesus. And that family has a very different kind of Father's Day today. When you hear about something like that, a little two-year-old boy who's passed away to, to go to be with Jesus, You think about how that mother, that father must be feeling, those two siblings, as your heart aches and your guts turn inside and you just wish there was something you could do. That's the kind of compassion we're talking about today. Jesus looks at these people, these crowds of people who had come to him and we're told that he saw people who were harassed people who were helpless. Now those two examples I just used, helpless would describe them. There's nothing those children did to receive those diseases. They didn't cause it. They're just helpless. But of course, there's others who are harassed. And if you're harassed, that means another sinful human being has done something to cause you pain, to cause you suffering. Maybe it's verbal abuse at the hands of a sinful father, physical abuse. When we hear about that, our our hearts go out to people who have been abused, don't they? When we hear about the awful things that one human being can do to another, there's compassion there too. Jesus has compassion for them all. That heart-aching, gut-wrenching, there has to be something that can be done about this kind of compassion. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus felt for these crowds. It's hard for me to to say this, but I think I have to because it's true. Among us, we are a lot better 
at showing compassion for the people around us who are suffering physical tragedy, physical sickness, physical disease, then we are showing this same kind of heart aching, gut wrenching. There's got to be something that can be done, compassion for people who are suffering spiritually. Have we become so content with what Jesus has done for us as individuals, with what Jesus provides to us when we come to worship and receive his supper? Have we become so comfortable with it that we've forgotten how gruesome it is to live life and die death apart from Jesus? Have we forgotten what it means to live life and to die without the eternal Son of God? What can we say but shame on us? There is nothing wrong with compassion shown to those who are suffering unthinkable tragedy and untimely disease. It's good to care, to help. But you and I are surrounded by people on the wide path that leads to destruction. And oftentimes, instead of showing compassion toward them, we show hatred and disgust. Shame on us. My heart goes out to the many members of this congregation who have adult children who have either strayed from Jesus or downright rejected him. I want you to know today that your Savior Jesus feels your pain. He has compassion for those in your life, be they children, adult siblings, maybe even a mother or a father, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, whoever it may be, whoever you know who is living life and heading towards death apart from Jesus, whoever you know, Jesus has compassion on them. The same compassion he has on you and know this, the compassion that Jesus has for the lost, for those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he acts on that compassion. There's a very powerful illustration in the front of your worship folder today. I don't know if you had a chance to read through it or not in that today's focus paragraph, but I think it's a really helpful one. Even earthly fathers have such intense compassion for their children that if one of us had a little daughter or a little son who was dying and the doctor said, if we take this one organ out of you, we can save your child. There's no time for anesthesia. We gotta do it right now. We would do that. We would do that. No matter the cost, however much it hurt, a father's love is so great that he would give a part of himself to save his little child. And on the cross, this is what we see. Jesus had never failed. He had never disobeyed his father. He had actively lived the flawless life that we can't live, the flawless life that's required to get into heaven. And on the cross, his father essentially cut that perfect life out of him and replaced it with our sin-diseased selves. With everything that we've ever done that ought to rightly divide us from God, the Father took Jesus' perfect life out of him 
and put our sin-filled lives into him and he suffered the consequences of that sin-ridden life. He suffered the consequences of every sin committed by every man, woman, and child who has ever lived. He endured our hell on the cross. He died the death that our sins deserve. And now, gift above all gifts, he takes that perfect life that was cut out of him and he puts it in you. And this is not some feel-good story where a, a flesh and blood organ was taken out of a relative and placed into a little child that they could be given a few more, li- few more years of life in this sin-stained world. No, this is a gift that results in a completely different kind of life. A life that is completely free from suffering. A life that will never again end in death. And this is God's gift to you and to me. Now you may have noticed in our text that while Jesus would serve the needs of every man, woman, and child to ever live on the cross, he would not minister to every man, woman, and child to ever live. He prays this beautiful prayer, a prayer that you may have heard a couple of times and asks us to join in that prayer. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then he answers that prayer as he sends out his own 12 disciples. And did you notice that he sent them out to do the exact same thing that he had been doing? Jesus' role was to be the world's savior, but it was not to travel throughout the world and directly serve every man, woman, and child personally. That would be done through Christian ministers. And so he sends out his disciples to have compassion on the people just as he had been doing, to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to spend just a few seconds thinking about who he sent. You know the fishermen, right? Peter and Andrew, James and John, who were they? Well, they were the blue-collar workers amongst us. There are people in this room who would far prefer to put in a good day's work using their hands and their back. They want nothing to do with a computer screen or a keyboard. They don't need a calculator. Just give them something to do with their hands. That's these fishermen. But then you had Matthew, the tax collector. He was a finance guy a money counter who worked for the government. And then you got this guy named Simon the Zealot. You know anything about zealots? Well, let's just suffice to say that Matthew and Simon would not have gotten along at all. Matthew worked for the government and collected taxes to support the enemy government. Simon couldn't stand the government. He couldn't stand the Romans. And he was zealously, vigorously opposed to the government, zealots even were known to rise up against the Roman government from all different kinds of people, and that's just half of them. Jesus raises up men to minister to his people. And those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you've seen this as you've been served by different pastors. You know that pastors are very different men with very different skill sets. Some tend to be more that blue-collar type, and their sermons might be a little more meat and potatoes. Others, 
they tend to have more intellectual gifts and their sermons might be a little more finely crafted. Some have a better bedside manner than than others. Some are more relatable than others, but all have the same task, don't they? Pointing you to the compassion of Christ for sinners like you and me. When you were little, most of you were brought to a baptismal font like this. And at that font, Jesus placed his arms around you. And then as you grew up, pastor, parents, Sunday school teachers began to tell you these narratives, story after story after story. And the point of those narratives was not that you would learn a moral, not that you would learn what was right and wrong, good and bad, but that you would begin to better understand God's great love even for a sinner like you as you looked at the sinners in these stories that God wouldn't abandon and never has Then you get a little older yet and you get to come and receive the Lord's Supper and you hear law and gospel, law which shows your sin and gospel which shows you your savior to nourish you in your adolescent and and young adult lives as you go out and work in the way that God has called you to work. And then some of us, older still, hear Jesus come and tell us of a place with no more aches and no more pains. No more physical aches, no more heartaches, no more anguish, no more pain, no more suffering. And through it all, Jesus shows his great compassion for you. And often he's done that through ministers. But you know deep down that it's not just ministers who work in that harvest field. Every single one of you has received. Every single one of you has received the grace of God shown to you through the word of God. And what does Jesus say to you today? Freely you have received. Freely give. Fathers, do it. I don't care how old your kids are. You know what Jesus has done for you. You know your sin better than anyone and you know your kids know it too. Freely you have received forgiveness for all of your sins. Freely give that to your spouse, to your children. There's no greater privilege to every single one of you. My prayer is that Jesus would work in you compassion like his. I know that when you look at the world around you and you see those who are lost, you see those who are living life and heading toward death without Jesus, there's a temptation to be disgusted by them and their wickedness. But my encouragement to you today is this. You are not disgusted by the seven-year-old girl battling cancer. You are not disgusted as you hear about a tragic loss in a family. When you see sin, have compassion. Have compassion on the sinner. Know that Jesus looks at them and he sees them 
just as you do, and he has acted, there is something you can do. You can point them to Jesus who has had compassion on you, knowing he's had compassion on them too. Freely you have received. Freely give. Amen.